Turn to Ephesians, the second chapter, and we're going to read the last couple of verses. And um, the book of Ephesians is really a book that reveals what the church is. You know, the church is a secret in the Old Testament. The New Testament, the Bible calls the church a mystery that was revealed. And what was the, the church? The church was really God moving out of a building because that's where they would meet in a building. And they would only go there and the Spirit of God would manifest and stuff. And now the church meets in buildings, but it's different in this aspect that the Spirit of God moved out of having His dwelling in buildings and dwells in humans that give their life to the Lord. And so the church is supposed to gather together and still have the glory of God and things happening. And then the church is supposed to exercise authority on the earth and all kinds of other things, and we'll get into that as we move along through this book. But notice this in Ephesians 2, 19. So he's revealing the church, the body of Christ. It says, Now therefore... You are no longer strangers. Now, he's talking about the Gentiles now who have given their lives or non-Jewish people to the Lord, and now they're in. And any Jewish person now who's given their life to the Lord is in this church, in in this new way of life. It says, you're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. How do you become a member when you get saved? But notice verse 20. It says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is something we're not going to go into, but I'm going to discuss it for a minute. He said, You're built on this foundation of these apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. When they talk about a cornerstone in the Bible or in building, it's what they start off of. It's the foundation. It's the starting point. So he said, Jesus Christ is the starting point, and we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now today, and we'll talk about this because the fourth chapter talks extensively, I think we will, that there are currently real apostles and there are currently real prophets. But they are not like they were back then. The Bible calls these ones foundational apostles and foundational prophets. They were the ones that God used to get the Word of God that we have written here to us. There's no more scriptures being written. In other words, there isn't another book that we need today apart from this book. Though apostles and prophets are real, that's one aspect they don't function in today. They're not getting new scriptures. They're not getting revelation outside of the Word of God. So Jesus Christ is the center point that this church grows on, and then the truth that came by them is still the building material. We are not with them, but we have their words with us. And so it is what we use to build with. And so 
the church is built on Christ, in other words, people being saved, and then that truth builds them up. And like I said, we're not going to go into detail. There are many scriptures you could cover, but like I said, we're not going to go through all that stuff in this teaching, um, meaning through the book of Ephesians, or we'll be here for, we'll have to go back and start going through stuff. But notice this in verse 21. Remember, he is the chief cornerstone. He, Jesus, is the one that the church is built on. When a person receives the Lord, the Bible said they're engrafted into him. They're put into Christ. They become one with him. That's why we're growing together as one in the Lord. And then it says this, in whom or in Jesus, this chief cornerstone, the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. <clears throat> so, in the Old Testament, they had a holy temple, but it was built by men, and then they would dedicate it, and God dwelt in it, in one temple. The church universal, everyone saved, is one temple. But we know from Scripture that there are individual churches. They are a temple of God too. But notice how it reads. It said, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. God wants each individual church that makes up the whole church to grow together into a holy temple. So if it is okay, as time goes on, as people have portrayed, it's okay to live however you want to, you could do whatever you want to, and the Lord will just, it's okay. You're not growing into a holy temple. Holy and Holy Spirit are always going to be true words until the Lord returns. The Holy Spirit won't lead you to unholy. I mean, I know this. The Lord deals with me about stuff, and He deals with every believer. But notice, in whom this chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church, the Savior, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, they had a holy temple in the Old Testament, and the glory of God and the Spirit of God dwelt in that temple. In the New Testament, we are now the temple. We are now the place. And notice how it reads, in whom, in other words, in Christ, in this holy temple, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit or for the Spirit. We are being built together. We're not just a natural temple. We're not just natural. And it's not just natural things that are happening. It's spiritual that's happening beyond the natural. Spiritual things are happening here. Spiritual things are happening 
in your life when you give your life to the Lord. And it's interesting, he talks about this dwelling place of God. We're the dwelling place of God. I want to look at two other verses, or, or at least one. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. A dwelling place of God. We are a dwelling place of God. The church, believers are. And so many times people think, well, you got to act holy at church because God is there by His Spirit. And that can be true. That can be true. Maybe not every church, but He is in the church. Notice this 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple, that you are the temple, now what's he doing? He's building up the church as a temple, but he's actually talking about an individual here each individual. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Really, he's saying that the Spirit of God dwells in every believer individually. The Amplified Bible reads it like this or says it like this, do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple. God's temple was always marked by something in the Old Testament. Always. The things of God's temple were always marked by something in the Old Testament. By God's power and His Spirit and His glory and where demonstrations of God happened. Always. And so he said, you are God's temple, his sanctuary. And that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you. To be at home in you collectively as a church. Now I'm not done reading. So he's saying collectively as a church, God's spirit is in here. Collectively. As a church, there is a dynamic when the church comes together, or there should be, or there can be a greater dynamic as the church comes together as certain things occur. Because if you know the Bible, you know that the church is called the body of Christ. Not just individuals, but he said, you are the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, and members individually. So the church, and he said this, the body is not one member, but many. It's one body, but many members. So the body or the church is one, right? One member, no, one body many members. And there is a dynamic when we come together because each part of the body, and it's interesting, he makes the church 
No, by an illustration. God used illustrations to get things into people so they would see things in the perspective that God has. In other words, Abraham, there was this inheritance he was given and a promise, and he said, listen, Abraham, the whole world's going to be blessed by you, and there's going to be descendants, and there's going to be more than you can number. So God said, come outside one night. And he said, now look up in the dark. And it must have been a clear night because he said, you see all the stars? And he said, I see them. He said, they're innumerable. He said, so will your descendants be innumerable. You won't be able to count them. Then he was there and he reaffirmed and he said, Abraham, look at the sand by the sea. And he looked and he said, just like that and you can't count it, so will your descendants be. There's a bunch. And what we need to understand, you look at the last couple of verses in Galatians, the third chapter, it said, everyone who has received Christ is of Jesus. It says, therefore, you're Abraham's seed. We're all part of that scripture being fulfilled. And all the people that get reached through us, all the people we give, you know, where we give, and like with Sean and Nancy or different ones or Pastor Fabio and different people that are reaching people, when they get saved, they become part of the family. They become a descendant of Abraham. And then all the other people who churches are supporting people and they're seeing people saved and then they're sending missionaries or supporting people and they're getting saved. There's just people all over the world that are fulfilling that scripture. Where it's innumerable. Millions upon millions upon millions. The Bible said when the Lord comes back to get us, it said he'll come with 10,000 upon 10,000 of thousands of saints. Those are all Abraham's descendant. Because when they received Christ, they became of Abraham's seed. So he used that illustration to tell you there's a bunch. But then he uses illustrations for things, you know, like corn and planting and the word getting in you and growing and things like that, like a seed. But here he's saying the church is like a body. And one thing I know about a body, and the Bible said this in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, not every part is a finger. So don't try and put your finger where it doesn't belong, like up your nose. Just saying. Fingers belong in certain places and hands. And some people are like, well, I'm a foot, but I don't like being the foot. But the foot is significant. Because without the foot, it makes it harder to walk. Right? Aren't, don't we get inspired by a person who has lost a leg, but they're still able to play baseball, and everybody, like, cheers for them? Man, look at that. They, they did this, you know, or somebody, you know, like that pitcher for the Angels years back, Abbott. He had only a short part of his arm, and he'd pitch, and he was, and people just were like, wow. But is that the design originally of God? No. Something horrible happened, or because of the fall of man, things have occurred, but it wasn't God's original intent and design. But 
we get fascinated by the body compensating for parts that aren't there or that are not in place properly. God wants each part in its place, doing its thing the way it needs to be done. In other words, the muscle here is important because you can go like this, but if you don't have the muscles here, you don't get to go like this. So each part is important. And how many of you know the body has vast amounts of different parts? Some of you, a couple of you are sure of that. It's awesome. I know this is a hard class to take right now, but somebody's like, I tried to avoid this in school. But there's just all kinds of parts to the body, and they all have a different function. And they're vital. And we are a body or a temple, and God wants this temple to function properly. You know, it takes something for a body to be placed and then built and developed properly so parts function properly. The Corinthian church was having wonderful things, but they were out of order. You know, you go read the 12th, 13th, and 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. They had gifts of the Spirit where there were prophecies, where there were tongues and interpretation. And these things are not uncommon here. They don't always happen here on Sunday morning. But we were in the office before, and I had a prophecy, and I gave it when we were in there. But things should be decent, be done decently and in order. But the Corinthian church was out of order. But he didn't want them to stop doing certain things, but he said, listen concerning speaking in tongues, he said, I speak in tongues more than you all, and we all should pray in tongues. But he said in the church, that's not the place to do it, because he said if you're out of order, people will come in and think you're mad, you're barbarian, you're crazy, and you're out of your mind. And he said, and those are the people Christ died for. We're not hiding anything. Not hiding any, anything at all. But the fact of the matter is it's important for us to know the organization and the structure so that this body can function properly. And who is the body? Every individual that's saved that joins themselves here. And notice this main functioning thing of the temple in the Old Testament is put smack in the in the middle of every believer, and in the whole church as a whole, and He is God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He lives in the believer, and He is among us as a church. So He's always in you when you get saved, and we, we do talk about being filled with the Spirit. But that being said, He said, we're growing the church is supposed to be growing. What does that mean? Individuals developing. Growing is not just one thing. I mean, growing, you know, you can have a tree that grows, but it doesn't produce fruit. Is it growing properly? No. What they'll do is they'll sometimes inject things, vitamins, different things like that, to get the thing so it'll produce fruit. 
It was made to produce, and the church is made to produce. And the Spirit of God's inside of a person, and He's in us collectively. So there are key factors to the church developing and walking in who they were designed to be, meaning the church as a whole and the individuals. So notice the third chapter and the first verse. See, that was my introduction to these verses. Notice this. Now remember, when the Bible was originally written, it was not written in chapter and verse. These were letters that were written by these foundational apostles and so on. And so they were written, but later on we put chapter and verse in there so you could find the verse easy. Right? And so he's getting done saying, or he has been saying, I shouldn't say getting done or finished with, he's saying that the church was built on Jesus and these foundational truths of these apostles and that we are one, we're a holy temple in the Lord and God corporately indwells us as a group but also individually and we're growing up as a habitation, a functioning body in the Lord. And so notice verse 1, notice verse 1. For this reason, for this reason, he's not changing thoughts. He's basically connecting what he's about to say with what he did say about this body that has the Spirit of God moving in them individually and corporately who are growing on this truth. But you can't grow on the truth until you get saved. That's why it's a progression there. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And when the Bible talks about a prisoner of Christ, he says it again and again. He, he says it to different people. And when he talks about being a prisoner of Christ, we might think of a prisoner as one who has been captured and now they're being held. The Bible calls these prisoners, they're voluntary. Him being a prisoner, it was a voluntary surrender to the Lord. It was a giving up of his own ways for the ways of the Lord and what God wanted in his life. So when he talks here about being a prisoner, he's not talking about somebody who was caught for speeding, you know, going 120 and a 25 and we're throwing you in jail. No, this is a personal submission of his own when he gave his life to the Lord, right? When the Lord appeared to him, he said, who are you? And then he said, what do you want me to do? He didn't say, what can you do for me? What, what could I, what, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, Lord. I'm a religious man. No, he didn't say that. The key is, who are you? What do you want me to do? So that's what he did. He became a voluntary prisoner, whatever you want me to do. I'm the one who will serve you and do what you want. He said, for this reason, this growing church, this habitation for God. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for 
you Gentiles. He was a prisoner doing service for these people. Notice, if indeed you have heard. So there were people who had heard, but if you haven't heard, he's about to tell you. I'm a prisoner to win people to the Lord, but also to do something for this church, that it might grow and it might develop is what he's saying. Notice, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation, that word there is stewardship. What is a steward? It's one who has been given something and they manage it, they take care of it, they do something with it. The Bible tells us that God has given to every member a gift. So we're all really stewards. And Paul said, have you heard of the stewardship that was given to me? People had heard, man, he prays for people and things happen. He preaches and you can sense the power. People started hearing about his stewardship, what was given to him, what he was walking in. And what was he walking in it for? For the church. Notice this because that's the subject that he's talking about. He said, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace or literally gift of God, which was given to me for you. Why do ministers have stuff? For themselves? So they can make a name for themselves? So they can be holier than other people? Well, they should be holy. But so they can give something to somebody. You don't control the minister. But the minister is supposed to be the one giving. Notice he said, this grace or this gifting was given to me for you. Now, remember the thought. God's building a church. It's made up of individuals. God's Spirit lives in those individuals by His Spirit individually, each one, and then corporately. He said, for this cause, God gave me a stewardship, an endowment, a grace gifting. I function out of that to help this whole thing. Notice verse 7. He said, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me. So he said, I became a minister because of the grace gift that was given to me. Notice he said it was given to me by the effective working of his power. You don't just get what you get on your own. When you were supernaturally recreated in Christ Jesus, he by his power made you new, came and lived in you, and then put stuff in you which you may not even have a clue about. That's why he puts ministers in the body of Christ. The Bible said in the fourth chapter to perfect or to mature the saints for the work or service of ministry. 
In other words, so they could take their grace giftings and start putting them into action. Everybody in here should be someone who thinks of bringing someone to church so they can know the Lord and get saved and grow in the Lord. But there are others in here who have greater grace. Everyone does because we know the Scriptures say that. But there are some in here or that will come here that have a greater grace gifting in that area, and it'll seem like, man, oh my, they can, they do that like nobody's business. In other words, everybody has, so to speak, a simple gift in that area, but there are some who are really gifted. But how would you even know until you gave it a try? You know, everybody can lay hands on the sick, the Bible said, in the name of Jesus. But some people have gifts of healings. But how would you even know unless you gave it a try? How would you even know unless the truth was taught you that you are backed by God if you would bring people? Because His divine power backs all these. And the Spirit lives in you. And there's a lot more, obviously. But the Spirit lives in you and the Spirit is upon you. And the Spirit's in here to get these truths across to you and to demonstrate things too. But notice what he said. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of His power. I've had God increase things in my life. I've had Him endow me with more things as I've gone along. He'll do the same thing with anybody who would serve him. That doesn't mean you don't have something. It just means if you'll be faithful with what you have, we see that he will give more to faithful people. And so, but how do we know? How do we get this stuff going? There are gifts inside of people that will help people to become what they need to become. I have a gift to do that. Paul said, I magnify my office. But Paul taught not to be proud. So was he being proud by saying, I magnify my office? He said, doubtless, if I'm not an apostle to others, I am to you. He said, and he explained why. It's okay to say what you've got. Jesus said, if anybody testifies of himself, he seeks his own glory. Right? Right? But then on the other hand, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to bind up the brokenhearted. So was he boasting? No. Is it boasting for me to say that my car has 270 horsepower? No, it's a fact. Is it boasting to say, well, you know, I've got tinted windows. He's just boasting. No, I'm not. We can go out there and look. Now, you can have a wrong attitude behind it, like, look at me. But if I'm just telling you the facts, that's not boasting. For me to say the Spirit of God is on me and works through me could be boasting. But if I'm just acknowledging a fact, I'm doing exactly what Jesus did. I'm doing exactly what Paul did. And he gave different gifts. We'll read that later on. Who knows, maybe in a couple of months when we get there to the fourth chapter. But he said there are gifts given to everyone. 
But there are some people who are believers who say, I don't have one. Either you don't know, you don't, or you're lying to yourself because you do. But I can totally understand because when I first got saved, God called me to the ministry. I knew it. He would actually called me years before. I rededicated my life. But I'd think, Lord, if I got a gift, I don't know if I got a gift. I don't have a gift. I saw everybody else. I I don't have a gift. If I got a gift, I don't know what I got a gift for. But he called me. It was just a matter of developing. It was a matter of being instructed in the ways of the Lord. Being in an atmosphere where I could learn to yield to the Spirit of God who was in me. It was me going out there and witnessing and bringing people. And things started happening. But notice this, it says, by his effective working of his power, this was put in you. When you got saved, it was put in you. Things can be stirred by his effective power too, when you get in this atmosphere. When you praise the Lord on your own, things will get stirred up in you. You with me? Notice this in the 8th verse. To me, who am less... Than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Why did he feel like he was less than all the saints? Well, he had been at the death of one of them, consenting unto Stephen's death. He was holding the jackets. He was a young man. Well, they stoned him to death. <clears throat> he, was take, he took letters and he imprisoned people. He even had people put to death for the gospel, people who believed. So he realized, I'm the least of the people that you would just pick. And how many people disqualify themselves and God hasn't disqualified them? And they are so good at disqualifying themselves because they're just so intelligent, they're just way more intelligent than God, that um, that's sarcasm. Oh, they are? Who is that? Oh, others. Just way smarter than God. They disqualify themselves. Really what it is, they're tangled up in lies. And they think, I'm just too bad. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the other. And they listen to it and believe it instead of believing what God said. And he was bad. To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship or interaction of this mystery which from the beginning of the ages uh, had been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus or through Jesus Christ. He basically said, listen, I've got a gift for the world, but I have a gift for the body. And what was he doing? He was trying by these truths to help them to walk in all that they had in Christ and helping create an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to move among them. Really what's happening is he's trying to get their mentality changed and renew their mind after they got saved because you can shut yourself out when you think wrong. And you can get so closed up in yourself that you close things out by listening to stuff that should not be. 
So when you get the truth in, it really opens you up to yield to God. Isn't that true about things on TV? You, you watch stuff that's wrong and watch it and watch it, you'll notice your attitudes can change toward that way. And what you can start doing is yielding to stuff that you shouldn't be. Right? The Bible tells us to not hang around an angry man. Lest you learn of his ways and get a snare unto your soul. The Bible tells us certain things, if you hang out with it, will corrupt certain habits in your life. Well, if you hang around the good things in God, you're not going to learn to yield to anger and learn to yield to wrong things. You're going to start learning how to yield to what's right in the Lord. That's what Paul was saying. I have a gift so that we as a church can start yielding to the Spirit of God who's in us. And we can start exercising our authority. And we can start living and having answers to prayer. And we can start living in forgiveness and start, because that's one of the things he taught here. And we can live and conquer when things come against us. And we can be filled to overflowing with the Spirit. Something is taught here. But that being said, you guys should be praying, Lord, help me to know what I've got. Teach and train and develop me so that I can grow up. Because if you grow up, we grow up. And so if you start asking God, teach me stuff, get stuff over to me, who might he use in your life to get stuff over to you? One person would be me. Because I do have a gift, just like Paul said, to help develop the people. So we might be a better dwelling place for God's Spirit, that each of us might function and yield properly to Him. So we should be praying. We should be asking, God, help other people. You may look at other people and say, oh, God, don't even worry about me. Help them. <laughs> but we all need to develop, right? And that's why there are prayers in the first chapter and prayers in the third chapter about developing and seeing and knowing. And really, if we would pray those prayers that are in there, they would bring development to us as a church and to us as individuals because the church is made up of individuals.